pastor. I brought my Bible today because I was accused of going a little too fast on the scriptures. And I won't mention the na any names, but Tony. I tend to write them down. And I just try to be as expedient as I possibly can. Um, but I want to go to Ephesians chapter 4 uh, tonight. I'm going to endeavor to finish uh, what I began on um, on Wednesday night. I don't think I'm going to. In fact, I had to shorten this thing down a little bit. I was actually talking to Amber, and um, we were talking about preaching and, you know, and, and things like that. And I said, you know, a lot of times, and I don't, I'm pretty sure it's this way for all of those who minister, is you, you get something together. You want to answer every question that comes up when you're – that's not – it's not even possible. I'll be pages and pages and pages. So – just trust that I'm going to open the door to some things and trust another brother steps through and takes up the towel on some of them. I don't have all the answers tonight. All I'm going to give you is what the Lord's brought to me and, and hope that it uh, affects you and, and that the Lord does a work in, in all of us. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse one, four, 1 through 5, it says, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, exhort you to walk worthily of the calling to which you were called with all humi humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called into one hope of your calling, one Lord and one faith and one baptism. Let me just kind of segue there on the baptism part. I find it interesting because it just says one baptism, but then we got lots of baptisms going on. We got like one in the water, one in the spirit. It just says one right there. But another door somebody can open up and go into later on. Not me. Not doing that tonight. That's but I wanna I wanna emphasize being diligent to keep the unity of all these things. The oneness is that word there, so we could just insert oneness in there. The oneness of all these things, of the Spirit, of the Lord, of the faith. I'm going to be talking about the faith tonight, and I'm going to be using, I'm going to be using the gospel faith. It's the, uh, they're synonymous, you know, as I'm preaching here. The gospel is the faith in Jesus Christ. That is the gospel, the good news, news of the faith in Jesus Christ. But it is, it, Paul is exhorting the, the Ephesians to keep this unity keep this oneness. So we're going to try to endeavor to look into that tonight. Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be here tonight. Lord, I just pray, Lord, and believe, Lord, that, that you have not given this to me for no reason, Lord, but you, you want to teach us something. You have taught me something and continue to do that, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that by your grace, you will help me to communicate it, Lord, to the people, Lord, and by your spirit, Lord, they will receive it, Lord, and begin to learn to apply it in their lives, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. In Jude chapter 1 and 3, it says, Beloved, using all diligence to write to you concerning our common salvation, I had necessity to write to you, exhorting you to contend, contend earnestly for the faith having been delivered once for all to the saints. Being diligent to guard, to maintain the oneness of faith. The oneness, the singleness of faith. One faith, I 
I'm going to try to really emphasize that tonight. One, there is only one faith. There is not a plurality of faiths. There is a singular belief that if we're going to call ourselves Christians, we have to hold on to. Now, as I said on Wednesday, I'll say it again tonight. I am not claiming that I have all truth. I'm not claiming that I know all things about God and about his Christ and about the faith. I am still learning. But I do know this. There is only one. There is only one. And so I am pursuing that one. That's what I am pursuing. The singleness of that faith. So I want to look at, um, I think when we talk, when I'm talking about the one faith, I think how we get to pluralities of faith, whenever we ever come into error in anything that comes with the things of God, we have to have to understand why it is we come in error. And I think one specific reason why we come in error, and the Lord's really been working on, and it's not the first time anybody spoke about this, but it is our nature to disobey. That is something that is in us. It's, I think sometimes we, we think about our nature to do bad things. But our nature to do bad things comes from our nature to disobey our nature to not, to do things our own way. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14, Paul says, whereas Eve was deceived, Adam, Adam was not deceived. Now let me kind of unpack that a little bit. Eve made a mistake. Eve was an error. She, she, did, she disobeyed, but she, she was deceived. Adam knew what was going on. Adam, with a clear picture of what was going to happen, decided to partake. He was not deceived. He did it on his own. He knew what the consequence would be. And as a result, his disobedience is what caused that breaking of fellowship with the Lord. And so he willfully decided. Now, I'm not sure he knew that God was going to kick him out. But he knew that this was going to cause a division between him, and he decided to do it anyway. Thank you, Adam. That is the nature that we have. That is the condition that we find ourselves in today, is that, that disobedience. See, our curse from Adam is not being naive. It's not gullibility. It's a willful disobedience. Now, sometimes, you know, I think it's a lot of different churches will talk about how, you know, if people only heard the gospel, then they would re readily receive it. So our job is to just preach the gospel to as many people as we possibly can. And those who don't receive it are the ones who haven't heard it right. That's not the case. Our, people don't receive the gospel because they don't want to. They don't want to receive it. I, I've been tricked so many times into thinking that if I just say some special thing, if I just, you know, spell things out a certain way, that suddenly somebody with the light will come on, and they'll all of a sudden, you know, and if they, the light doesn't come on, it must have been a mistake in my gospel. No. Even if I answered every question, the, the reason why they don't want to come to faith is not because answer, questions haven't been answered. It's because they don't want to. They don't want to know the answers, or else they would be diligently seeking them. And that comes from our disobedient heart. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 6, it says, 
And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience as soon as your obedience is complete. Adam disobeyed. He broke fellowship because of his disobedience. And so when he decides to break fellowship, he can no longer make the decision on on how to get back into fellowship with the Lord. The Lord is the one who has been wronged here. So because it's the Lord who has been wronged here, he is the only one who can make a way back into fellowship. So there is nothing that Adam can do to reconcile that relationship. But yet we think that we can do that. It is our nature to think that we can, that because if I just do X, Y, and Z, I'm going to bring that relationship back. And that's, that doesn't even make sense if you even give it a little bit of thought. If I decide to do something that breaks up Amber and I's relationship to where we are no longer a married couple, if I want to get back into being married to her, that's on her terms. I'm the one who broke it. She has to set the terms for that. No different than the Lord. He was the one who was wronged. He's the one who set the, sets the terms in order for that to come back. Is everybody following me on this? So we can only operate in a fleshly realm because we no longer have access to the Spirit of God. That is where the law of sin and death comes in. Because we have, we have denied the act. God is our only access to life. So because we broke that fellowship, we no longer have access to that. He is the only one who can give that access back to us. And no good deed or action can reconcile one offended party to the other. Only the one who has been offended can do that. Okay? And yet, and yet we still try to do that in ourselves. Amen? We, we still try to, to um, have that go on. I, I was reading this guy, um, and I don't have it written down. I thought I had it written down here. But he said something really, really interesting. He said, we, everybody wants to be saved. But they want to do it on their own terms. Everybody wants to have a right. Nobody wants to go to hell. We just want to go to heaven our own way. And that is not going to work. That's not going to. We don't get to have our own faith. We don't get to have. He decides what the faith is. He decides what we're going to do. He's the one who decides. The, he also says this, and this is S.M. Lockridge who said this. The robe of righteousness is not tailored to fit the man. The man is tailored to fit the robe. We do not get to decide to come back into righteousness with the Lord. He decides. He makes the way. And, but as soon as Adam leaves the garden, the Lord starts to make a way back for us. He starts to open that door up for us. And so I want to read, um, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. I want to sh- show you something. I'm going to read, read a few, few scriptures here. I thought I had it marked. I did have it marked. There we go. So in Hebrews chapter 11, this is the faith chapter. I want to read, um, I just want to read a few of these Old Testament settings here. I want to I show you something here. Because Adam is kicked out, but immediately God begins to make this way back. But he makes this way back through obedience. 
if the way out was disobedience, then only obedience can bring us back in. Amen? And so the Lord begins to open that up for us, that way of obedience, because he is the Lord, and we have to see him as Lord, and the only thing that makes him Lord is the command that he gives us. And in order for him to be our Lord, not only does he have to give a command, but we have to respond to that command and obey. So the grace of God is that he gives us that command to return to obey so that we can return into fellowship. And that is the beginnings of faith. All faith is, is understanding, is hearing him and obeying him, walking that out. And so we see this in, uh, in verse 4. Uh, by faith, Abel was offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained a witness that he was righteous and God testifying of his gifts, and by it being dead, yet he speaks. So right off the bat, we see that God has made a way. He, told, he, he presented what a good sacrifice is and a bad sacrifice, and only through the obedience of, of bringing the, the right sacrifice. Was it, did it have anything to do with the sacrifice? No, it had everything to do with doing what God asked him to do. Was there something really righteous about Abel? No, only in what his obedience led to. Just That's the only thing. In verse 7, it says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen, as yet moved with fear, prepared an ark to saving of his house, by which he condemned the world, and became an heir of righteousness, which is by faith. Now, I get this picture, and I think you do too, of that these men, and I'll use Noah as an example, Noah found grace in the eyes of God. So Noah must have been a really awesome guy on the earth, that everybody else was bad, but Noah was good. We don't see any of that recorded, what he was doing, like the good deed that he was doing, other than, when the Lord decided to speak to him, he obeyed it. Now, I'm sure, you know, Rodney and I were discussing, you know, with Abraham, you know, what, in fact, I'll read um, in verse 8, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place where he should, after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whether he went. By faith he sojourned in a land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For you look for a city which has foundations, who builders and make, whose builder and maker was God. So what, what, did, what did he do so well that made God talk to him and give him the command to go out? We don't know that. Now, Roddy and I were kind of talking and speculating of what that could be, but it's not recorded. The righteousness that he received was all about him saying yes to what God said. Him obeying what the Lord put out. And it is up to us to continue that. They, they do not have a different faith than us. They have a continuation of faith in us. In 13... Uh, verse 13, it says, And these all died in the faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from once they came out, they might have uh, had opportunity 
to have returned, but now they desire a better country that is a heavenly where God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared them a city. It, this is a faith that is being walked in from the beginning. It is not a different faith. It is they are beginning to head towards that which we put our faith in. They just have not got there yet. But the, but the only thing that puts them recorded in here, the only thing that, that makes them special is their obedience to the word of God. So there is nothing in them that makes them better than anybody else other than that God spoke to them and they, res- and they responded. That is the singleness of faith that they walked in. However, just because what they did was good then doesn't make what they did back then, if we bring that into today, that it makes it good. It's not. I want to show you something in in verse 39 of the same chapter. Hebrews Hebrews chapter 11, 39, same chapter. It says, and all these things, all... And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should be made perfect. Another translation says, these were all commanded, commended for their faith, yet they did not receive what they were promised. God had planned something better for us so that together with us, they would be made perfect. In other words, without what we have now, there is no reason for what they did then. They are heading towards a destination. And if they, do, and if they decide, if, if we separate that destination, if they don't get there, if, if the purpose of Christ is not fulfilled, then there's no point to anything that they were doing. In other words, this is God's plan from the beginning. It's not, an, it's not a separate plan. It's not a separate faith. But it's only together in one faith as it, it pertains to Jesus Christ. Amen? It is the funneling down of the time when Adam disobeyed. There's a big wide berth that includes a lot of people. But the closer we get to Christ, the single, singleness of it becomes more apparent. That there is only one purpose, and that is Christ. There is only one faith, and that is Christ. And outside of that, if we get, if we go backwards from that, or if we, or if we get past that, then we have lost any purpose in our faith. And right now, we are inundated with different roads and different ways of getting to Christ, different faiths that are not the single faith. Amen. So, what this means is. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 through 3, it says, Wherefore, seeing also we are compa- compassed with, about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay, us lay aside every weight, weight and sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He is the beginning of the faith, and he is the end of faith. The whole purpose of the beginning, when Adam steps out of that garden, he can no longer go back the way he came in. He has to take the road that was laid out before him. As a people, as, as children, we have to walk that road that was laid out before him, and that road is leading to Christ. But in Galatians 
It says, Paul says, and as we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be a curse. So this is the tough part of the message because we've kind of assigned this to the Mormons and the JWs, right? And the Catholics, right? Yeah, they're preaching a contrary gospel. Well, there's only one gospel. There could only be one. And so you have many gospels in this city alone going out. Many different things that they would call the gospel. Not all of them can align together. Not all of them are going to, not all of them fit into the singleness of one faith. Now, I'm not going to accuse any anyone. I'm not going to call out anybody, but I think it's important to understand that there is only one. And anything outside of that one Jesus Christ, faith in Christ, is, is Paul says, let it be accursed. Let it be anathema. In Jude chapter 1 and 4, Paul says, and I say this because some, odd, uh, some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation... The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So we have a set of people worming their way, I like that word, worming their way into the church, that are using, using grace as a, as a reason to be immoral. So we have that worming into the church. And then we have in Galatians chapter 3, in verse 1 through 4, it says, Foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Received you the spirit of, by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, now you are made perfect of the flesh by the flesh? So now we have two things going on. We have one side that's using the grace of God as a reason to to be immoral and sin, and then we have others that are trying to bring back this law, the Old Testament law, back into the church. And in both cases, they have missed the gospel. One is overshot, one is however way you want to look at it, we have gone past that. But in this case, they are both in error because we only have one mark. There's only one mark to shoot at, and if we overshoot it or if we undershoot it, we've still missed. We have still become an error. And what Paul is saying here is what was, what was good in the past, we can't bring it into now because we're not living that way anymore. We're not doing those things anymore. The, the tabernacle, the law, all those things, they don't belong here. We, we live in the grace of Christ. However, the grace of Christ should lead you into a one singular gospel that should change who you are. That you shouldn't be walking around as the Gentiles do. Amen? Now, going to Galatians chapter 2, I want to bring this out, and I'm almost done, but I want to bring this out. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul's going to make a statement here, or... Let's see here. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11. It says, but when Peter, well, 
this out, but it's not what I want. 11 through 20. I don't think that's what I want. Well, let me just. Oh. <clears throat> but when I saw that they walked not, this is this is talking about this confrontation with Peter. He says, but when we walk not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them, if thou being a Jew livest after the manner of the Gentiles as not as as do the Jews, why compellest the Gentiles to live as do the Jews, who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith of Jesus Christ. By faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Jesus Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Again, this is talking about what you can do can never make right God, your relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing that you can do can do that. Because it wasn't, it wasn't a specific thing that broke it in the first place. It was a heart of disobedience that did it. So no work can actually bring it, bring it back together. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. Now, in Mark chapter 2, verse 22, it says, And no one pours new wines into old wineskins, other th otherwise the new wine will burst the skins, and, and both wine and wineskins will be ruined. So what is going on here? What, I, what the Lord has kind of showed me is that if we miss Christ, so we have this great cloud of witnesses that I spoke about in, in Hebrews chapter 11, if they're on a destination that is going to bring them to Christ, and then we get to Christ, but we turn around, but, and Paul says this, but I turn around and I try to go back to where, what they were doing before, I now become a transgressor because the whole point was to lead to Christ. So if I get to Christ and I turn around and I try to go, was it good for them back then? Absolutely. Is it good for us right now? No. It, be, it makes us into a transgressor to try to bring back what was good then, try to bring it back up now, makes us in error. We have missed it. And to try to bypass Christ, and as a lot of the charismatics are doing right now, becoming your own mediator between God and man, uh, beyond Christ, we have missed it the other way. Because there is only one mark to hit. And what I started to see when Rodney was talking about when Stephen preaches, he preaches this message and then he begins to talk, as Pastor talked this morning, about seeing the Christ in the right of God. He sees, and Paul is there when this is being preached. He now has an opportunity to see Jesus, who, he, who, who Jesus really is, and respond to it. But he decides to go backwards, back into what he was doing before. And not only does he, does he go backwards, now he becomes an even worse transgressor than he was before. Now it's not that he was just a Jew trying to obey Jewish laws. Now he begins to murder people. Now he becomes, he becomes into serious error, trying to hold on to those things that no longer pertain to the faith in God. Because it's only Christ. 
and he wants to go backwards. But when he, the light is shed on him, he sees where the error was, that the whole time that he was thinking that he was doing right by God, in the old things that he was doing, he was really persecuting the one faith that he needed. Amen? And so when Jesus, Jesus knocks him off his horse and says, I am Jesus who you persecute, that moment of realization of where, where all his beliefs and works had led him, is it any wonder why he's so vehemently against that creeping itself back in the church? He is dead against it because he sees where it goes. And yet, we now have churches built upon the same infrastructure of what he was railing against back then. Now, it doesn't, there's no animal sacrifices. We don't see temples, although some buildings look like temples. But the infrastructure is the same. And what I mean by that is it's the same idea of that what I can do makes me right with God. That the things that I do on the outward somehow have any effect on the inward. And it does not. The faith in Jesus Christ is as simple as Hebrews eleven six, 6. That says to our faith depends on that. To believe that Jesus is God and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It is as simple and yet as complicated as that. It's simple in that's the only thing we have to worry about. It is complicated in that that doesn't manifest itself in outwardly things very often. But we really want fleshly outward things that we can see to tell us that we're right with God. We really want those. Some of them want those in the, in the form of law. Some of them want them in the form of acting crazy and doing, doing things like that. Either way, you end up at the same, same point. Those who love the law, those who love ultra-charismatic behavior, they're, they're both similar in that it is an outward, fleshly way of ascribing our rightness with God. That by what I wear and what I don't wear, I am right with God. Or by what I speak or what, what craziness I do shows that I am right with God. Either way, it's something that you can do with the flesh. And neither one of those are a faith in Christ. They're a faith in what's on the outside. But we all know that faith is the substance of things that are what? Not seen. You cannot see those things. We can't take hold of our faith. It's not by sight. Because when we start walking our faith out by the things by, by sight, then we start judging our walk by the outcomes. We start judging whether we are right with God by what outcome comes out of the situation that we're in. And if you... if we tr if I do X, then God must do Y. That's the life that we live. And that's a way easier life to live. I'll give you that. But that's not faith in Jesus Christ. That's faith in outcomes. That's faith in the flesh. That's faith, faith in the physical. That's faith in things that we can see. But the problem with faith in outcomes is, man, it's a long way to drop when the outcomes don't, don't turn out the way you want. But when our faith in is, is in the things that are not seen, 
that when God says to do X, I do it not because of the outcome that may happen. I do it because I have faith in him. Then my life becomes more stable and grounded and rooted because outcomes are what they are. But when I'm walking out and putting my trust in that which I don't see, then the things that I do see don't matter as much as they used to. But when my faith is in the flesh, when my faith is what I can or cannot do, we're in real trouble because there are things I cannot do. And then it's all on, on the outcome. It's all on the flesh. Amen? Everybody following me on that? And so we are grateful and we rejoice when the works of the Lord are made tangible. Sometimes the works of the Lord are made tangible. Sometimes we cry. Sometimes the Lord blesses. Sometimes the Lord works out a situation perfectly. And sometimes they do not. But that has nothing to do with the faith. That has nothing to do with our faith. Sometimes we get here, and most of my sermons, nobody is crying. Nobody is jumping up and down. I just get used to that. But that doesn't mean that what I say isn't true. There are some people that make lots of people cry and lots of people shout, and I listen to it and I go, I don't even know what they're talking about. But when we live a life that's just all about the flesh and all about what we can do, then it's all on you. It's not on him. It's all about us. It is our way of, of, of laying out a path to God that's our own. And you're never going to get into a faith relationship with Jesus Christ doing what you want to do. You're only going to get a faith in Christ by doing what he wants you to do. And by that alone, like I said before, what, what is faith in Christ but him being our Lord? Well, he cannot be our Lord if he doesn't give commands. And we cannot be his servants if we don't obey those commands. That is the relationship that we have. And so we walk in the spirit so that we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But what is walking after the spirit? Walking after his command. We don't get his command by just deciding ourselves what is good and what is right. We get his command and what is good and right comes from his mouth into our and speaks into our lives. And so I am grateful, in closing, I am grateful that, I, that our walk is no longer, I love those men of the Old Testament. I have a great respect for them, but I'm glad I don't have to walk that way anymore. I'm glad that I could walk in a relationship, and I know that this personal, you know, I promised I was closing, I am, just give me about a minute or so. This phrase, personal Lord and Savior, I the more I think about it, the more I can't stand it. I don't, because there is no personal, individual Savior for each and every one of us. There is only one God that we tap into. There is only one faith that we all tap into. There is only one. Because when you make it personal, when he becomes your personal Lord and Savior, then you get to decide what, make, what makes it personal. Well, my uniqueness. My uniqueness. And so I can, I can decide the relationship that I have with God. But I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to walk that way. I want to walk in the faith of Jesus Christ as he lays it down. Amen? Amen.